We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire. And this week, presented by DirecTV NFL Sunday Ticket, DoorDash, and BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is again time for our non-sports movie of the month episode, and the Big Screen Sports Facebook group chose Eurotrip, which is one of my favorites. I was shocked to see it win the poll. Very happy. But uh, even more than that, I couldn't be... I'm even happier with today's guests about this movie. Uh, And because of those guests, it's an atypical episode. On today's pod are David Mandel and Jeff Schaefer, two of the three writer-directors of this movie. David and Jeff have written for shows like Seinfeld, Curb, The League, Veep, and in Jeff's case, most recently, Dave on FXX. They are, these guys are just comedy Hall of Famers, and in 2004, they put out Eurotrip and battled tons of internet troubles to talk to me about it. Uh, we, we had to record this a couple times. It was well worth the wait, well worth the struggle. They had... Just some incredible stories about the making of this one uh, that we touch on mainly in the first half of the pod, especially one about, you know, some talk about the best cameo of the last 20 years, maybe all time. Just incredible shit. Uh, In the second half of the episode, we picked through a few of our usual categories. It was just it was awesome to have these guys on the show. Uh, You know, definitely, definitely a top tier Hall of Fame guest for this podcast. Uh, If you want to pick the next non-sports movie this month, Join the Big Screen Sports Facebook group. I'll throw up a poll. September's might just be crazy, stupid love. It was it was August's runner-up, and 
It's a movie I, I really enjoy, but I don't know yet. Uh, also, make sure you're subscribed for full episodes dropping every Monday, along with the occasional Thursday drop. Been doing those lately, uh, you know, thinking of doing some listener questions on a Thursday coming up soon. Um, I would be remiss not to mention that we lost an incredible talent this past weekend in, in Chadwick Boseman, a guy who he was in a few sports movies and obviously, you know, one of the most iconic roles of the past 20 years with Black Panther and what he meant to so many people. Um, he also just, just seemed like the, just the best dude. Um, might drop some further thoughts on, on Chadwick Boseman later in the week, kind of pay this pod's tribute, but, um, just felt like I needed to touch on it just all around, just incredibly sad. Um, Next Monday's episode is going to be with New York Times bestselling author Jeff Perlman returning to the pod, talking Everybody's All-American, which you can stream if you're a subscriber of HBO Max. It's available right now. Uh, if you haven't seen it like I hadn't, go do that. Um, check out all the pods on the Blue Wire Sports Network. You guys know the drill. And with that, let's talk Euro Trip with David Mandel and Jeff Schaefer. Okay, joining today for this month's non-sports episode of Big Screen Sports, you probably know these two as writers for shows such as Veep, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The League, and Dave, but for what's important on today's show, they are the writers and directors of Eurotrip, and they have both suffered through a lot of internet problems making this pod happen. It is David Mandel and Jeff Schaefer. Guys, thank you so much for joining me for what feels like the 50th time on Big Screen Sports. Uh, our, our pleasure. Let's see if we can get through this one. <laughs> It's all the sweeter. I, I, I mean, we've made it. Uh, we've made it about forty seconds so far. This is going really great. Uh, before we get going into uh, into Euro Trip, Jeff, tell us about Dave. Why should people be watching Dave? Uh, it's very, very funny. If people, a lot of people probably have heard of the rapper Little Dicky. Uh, this is the show that um, he stars in, but. I think people will be very, very surprised whether they know his stuff or whether they don't know his stuff. I think they'll be very surprised that the show has a lot more on its mind than they were expecting. Yeah, I've heard incredible things about Dave. It is something that I'm, I need myself, I'll admit, need to just sit down, find the time to binge 10 episodes, probably stick my kid in front of a tablet for 10 hours and and make that happen. But um, guys, we're here to talk about Eurotrip, but this is a sports movie podcast. So I, I'm gonna need each of your favorite sports movies before you, but you know, before we get going, David, what is your pick? What is your favorite sports movie of all time? Boy, uh, I, I depending on my mood, and I usually pick a baseball movie. I guess depending on my mood, like sort of hopeful, laughing, or sort of sad, some combination of like Eight Men Out, The Natural, and of course Major League. Uh, so somewhere in there, baseball, one of those. Those are all good picks, uh, Jeff. What about you? I was going to go with The Natural, which I was actually oddly thinking about the other day. I hadn't seen it in so long, and I was thinking about him at bat with that bloody abdomen, and he's just sort of, and he's there, and I'm just like thinking to myself, that must have really hurt. (laughs) 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 uh, So I would, I would have to say, The Natural is it's uh, it's an amazing movie. Um, So I would go with, yeah, I would go with that one. I think The Natural is the only baseball movie that heavily features an internal bleeding plot line, so it really has that going for it. But um, we're we're not here, like I said, we are not here to talk about sports movies. Every month on this podcast, we cover a, a non-sports movie, usually picked by the Big Screen Sports Facebook group. I gave a couple choices for this month's, and Eurotrip won in a, in a sound defeat. People love Eurotrip. Eurotrip is very imp- important to me. 
I came out when I was 13. And and you guys, you guys made you a masterpiece. Per- you were the people. perfect age. You were the exact perfect age. Yeah. yeah. You were that, our, that you were our, you were our master experiment. <laughs> that unrated version DVD uh, got me got me through middle school and high school. So I need you guys to walk me through the process, like the the foundation of Eurotrip. How many iterations of this idea did you have in your head before you actually got to, to filming? When did this, what year did this movie actually originate? It was actually a pretty, it was pretty quick... fast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's the thing. We knew we wanted to write a movie that was like the teen comedies we grew up with. Um, and, and dare I say, not to get all businessy, we wanted to write something that we would direct. We really yes. felt like having having been writers on a lot of things and a lot of rewrites on things, uh, we, with no one particular person, but we definitely experienced a lot of, I guess, just bad directors where we would be come, we would be asked like, come into the edit room and help us look at something, and you'd go, where's this shot? Where's the close up? And then they would go, oh, we decided we didn't need a close up, and it was sort of like, then you shot it wrong, and there's no way of fixing it, or we'd end up stealing, you know, footage from another scene or something. But we just kind of felt like boy, we can do this. We may not be the worst, the best directors in the world, but we, we know what the joke is. We know how to shoot the joke. And so that, as much as anything, was make a really funny movie, which we knew we could do, but also make something that someone would let us direct. That was, that was really our, our chief goal, I think. And I feel like teen comedies in the late 90s had gone less about the, the jokes and the humor and more about the Freddie Prinze Jr. of it all. Uh, your your movie was definitely a a callback to the '80s for sure. Yeah, and by the way, that may be the nicest thing anyone's ever said about the movie that it was the antidote to Freddie Prince Jr. Um, that that being said, we would have taken Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> in a second had he deigned to read the script. So let's not be too highfalutin. Okay, uh, we would have taken that guy in a second. He could have played any part he wanted and co-directed it with us. So yeah, anyway. I mean, who who does Freddie Prince Jr. play in Eurotrip? Is he is he Scott or is is there a better role for him? No, he's, he's definitely, definitely Scotty. Scott. He's definitely I mean, Scott. Yeah. Here's the thing. Just to, one last thing about the the uh, the idea for the movie, which you have proven to us, was we wanted a movie that kids could watch when they were at their cool friend's house. You know, the cool friend whose parents' liquor cabinet wasn't locked, and Th- those was, parents are not home. And they, and he's come over and said, you want to watch this? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And uh, yeah, they watch like, you know, 10 minutes of it. They jump to the nude scenes. But yes. Right. And it's like, let's go. Yeah, we'll, fin- we'll fill our dad's gin with water and he'll never know. And we'll keep watching this movie. Yeah, I have a distinct memory of sitting at a friend's house, drinking a, a big cup full of Sprite and Bombay Sapphire, heavy on the Sprite, just trying to suck that down in like eighth or ninth grade watching this movie uh shout out to the moza gimba family for not not locking their liquor cabinet but i how it did also, you get i was just gonna throw this, this i was just oh, gonna go throw this in really quick sorry i was gonna say it also came at a very weird time where like for some reason right as Eurotrip came out there seemed to be a, a larger than normal crackdown on the sort of letting kids just randomly into our movies which at for a certain for like a long period of time no one paid any attention you just went to whatever movie you wanted and unfortunately as it was kind of coming out it just got it seemed like all of a sudden it was harder and so so many of the people that found it on you know video and whatever or dvd later either 
tried to go and couldn't get in alone or quite honestly, thank you, DreamWorks marketing team, had no idea the movie ever came out. Um, so one of those two things. But it was sort of an interesting time with those kinds of movies in general. Yeah, you had to have the friend with the older sibling who would grab that DVD and then be kind enough to, to let you watch it. So how did you guys get the cast together, especially uh, Jacob Pitts and, and Scott Meklowitz? Like, how do you build chemistry in a teen comedy? Because you, you've got to feel like the cast, especially Scott and Cooper, are real friends. And for me, I, I felt that. So how did you how did you come across? Who was first? Cooper. Yeah, we definitely were mixing in. I mean, it was a very traditional casting. I mean, I guess we won't, you know, we're not going to lie. We definitely, there were a couple of, you know, quote unquote names at the time that we were trying to land. We did our our damnedest to land Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks's son. We tried really, really hard. Um, we tried really hard to grab um, Topher. Topher, Topher Grace, Grace. yes. We tried oh, really shit, hard. Would have been so good. <laughs> he 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 took win a dream date with Tad Hamilton. So jokes on Topher. Um, but uh, we try. You know, so there were a couple of people like that that we tried. There were a couple of people, you know, that were sort of like we liked a lot, but you know, for various reasons, the studios didn't love either. And so we really did end up with a, I guess, a very traditional, you know, open casting thing where we had a couple for each part, except Scott. Scott was the really, really, really hard one. So we had a couple of Coopers, a couple of Jennies, although we always liked Michelle, and in some ways she was the closest thing we had to a big name at you know among that grouping. She's um, coming off Buffy. Buffy, and you know yeah. she was Harriet the Spy. I know she likes everyone to get that in as quick as possible. Um, but yeah, no, she was sort of the most known, and this was sort of you know an opportunity for her to do something that was a little more adult and all that kind of stuff. I think was a good thing. Um, but we mixed and matched. I remember being in uh, what was that the the old Sofitel by the Beverly Center, like downstairs in their like little like you know ballrooms, and we were like mixing and matching you know different combos of some scots that we had none of whom ended up working out and i think we had a couple for these other parts um and we kind of very quickly locked in on jacob michelle and uh, travis um as the but, brother but but scott mechlowitz was a Last second, last, like we, yes, right, like, 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 we're about to go to Prague, like last second kind of thing. And he came in, and he had just graduated from UCLA, and he just came in, and he had all this confidence, and he just, he sort of blew us away, and we said, "Oh, thank God, we've got our Scotty." I mean, I really like him, and the him and Pitts had great chemistry. Uh, it, for me, like Pitts was the linchpin in this movie, like. He's got to be the try hard for sex guy because every high school movie best friend wants just way too badly to to get laid. But if he's not funny or still likable, the movie would fall flat. I really like Jacob Pitts, and then I liked him in uh, in Twenty One. I like him in The Pacific. I'm just a just a big Pitts fan. But there's so many small roles in this movie that are just completely knocked out of the park. And a, like a, you got a lot of famous actors, but I also I just have to shout out: How did you find the kid who plays Bert? The little brother, <laughs> okay. who is great, okay. and I don't think he's in anything else. So you guys have no idea how hard it was to cast the rest of this movie. So we're in Prague, and we don't have a lot of money, and there's a war going on, and there's SARS. So there's not a lot of people that are flying halfway across yeah, the globe. Yeah, people are like, oh, yeah, let so me hop on a plane. So it's kind of like 2020. Yes. 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 Only it's, it's, amazingly slightly better, but yes. 
<laughs> so <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Bert first. So Bert was someone we found in Prague. His parents were Uzbeki, and he looks like your typical Midwestern bully, even though he's an, he's an Uzbek. <laughs> and he was getting paid so little because it was Prague that we used to joke about, we called the amount he was getting paid a Bert. So for instance, so whatever we were doing with the budget, it was like how many Berts basically. <laughs> so if we went, you know, going overtime for an hour might be 300 Berts. It was <laughs> so he, but he was so good. He really made us laugh. This, I mean, it's amazing that this kid had no he was this real little asshole. And what I remember about him was on our, right before we started shooting, we had like a, I guess whatever the opposite of a rap party is a start party, I guess is what we had in Prague. And I remember, I feel like his parents just like dropped him off, like dropped him off at like a party with adults. And like he, I just remember him kind of cruising around the party and that was him. Like he was very much that person and very, Real and very believable, I think, except there's one phrase that to this day a couple of my friends still will say to me, and which was when he goes, I'm getting the video camera, and he kind of goes, video. And it's the one thing that, like, I don't know why, it makes what? them really laugh. That A little Uzbeki sneaking out. But, uh, yeah, never heard from again. <laughs> He's probably a warlord in Uzbek. Anyway, but... Uh, we wish him well. Thing- Reach yes. out, Bert, if you're out there. Niall. You guys should have snuck him back in a suitcase or something. By the way, we would have taken him back. He, that kid could have made a mint here. But by so, the way, we did actually, we reshot him. We He stayed where he was, but we did do a little reshoot with him. When we rejiggered the ending, yep. we added the notion of everything being televised. When Scotty finally finds Mika and the Pope, some of the Pope dying. I can't remember everything we we rejiggered but we we set up that the pope was alive we wanted to make that clear we added this notion that other people were watching the television and we added bert we kind of did a little callback and we added that we 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 shot we, somebody shot bert there i think maybe we were on a phone or something i don't even remember but we actually did track him down to do a little reshoot with him but anyway again after that no one heard no, never heard from him again and, and so by the way so so let's well, talk about I saw other- that from the IMDb oh Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, no, let's, let's finish up Bert first. I want to know if he's alive or dead. Then I'll, I'll say what I was going to say. Oh, I was just going to say, I saw from the IMDb that you guys, there was actually a bittersweet ending to the movie originally, which I, I didn't realize. Yes, we, the original ending of the movie had Mika saying no. <laughs> it was not, but not in a bittersweet way. We thought that was the funniest thing in the world to make a teen movie where a guy travels halfway around the world and gets there, and the girl goes, "Who are you? I have no idea who you are. Get away from me." We thought that was the funniest joke, and it was a great comedy lesson. And to this day, like I've done this, like in the very, like in in the Veep room, I will tell the story of the original Eurotrip ending. We call it the humor of disappointment, and the audience does not care for it in the least. And, and you the- think, and you, the writer, think it's funny. It's not. It's just you've wasted my time. Why did I sit here for two hours watching this journey? <laughs> and by the way, even in when we did the disappointment version on the steps of the Vatican, we still had her showing up at school, but it wasn't yeah. good. It was a happy ending, like, later on. Yeah. Well, the thing about the movie, and, like, with this podcast with the sports movies, we'll talk about realism and stuff. 
And I would say of everything in this movie, the most unrealistic thing would be an absolute fucking rocket like Mika holding out for Scott, who she had never seen a picture of. It would have made perfect sense for her to say, like, nah, I'm not doing this. It, 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 it made perfect sense. It was like we were like torturing them. And I guess we sort of were. But like I said, as asshole comedy writers, we thought it was hilarious. Well, I need to uh, I need to talk about another cast member, someone who's had a little more success than uh, than dear sweet Bert. Um, you got let's talk the Scotty doesn't know scene. Can you just walk me through the entirety of how that came to be? Whatever happened to that guy? Um... He's in some shit. So here's the thing. So we're in Prague. Like we said, there's SARS. There's we don't have a lot of money. And so we just gathered actors our pool of actors was who's in Prague right now so and, we bumped- and, and, and I'll just throw this in and luckily that was the moment where Prague was and it soon it kind of kept going east but at that moment Prague was a really wonderful cheap city where you could construct things and build stuff and so luckily there were as we came in, there were movies leaving, there were movies coming in as we were there. So that, 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 that was the, the world we were in. So that was the only, that was the one real advantage. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, so, no, so we were, you're exactly right. We were location scouting and we were location scouting in a hotel and we bump into Jeffrey Tambor. We say, hey, how'd you like to play our lead character's dad? He's like, okay. And we knew, so Matt was around. We knew Matt was in town. He was shooting Brothers Grimm. And we knew Matt and we said, hey, We've got a part for you. So we sat down with him and his head was shaved because he always had to wear a wig and he had just finished, uh, he just quit smoking. So in his words, he had swelled up like a tick. So he was a pretty burly guy at this point. And we described the role and he's like, great, I'll do it. Let me just find a day. And and, and also I'll throw this in, which is the band Lustro that plays the band is made up of some of the other, we went, Matt was with us at Harvard, but younger, and some of the guys in the band were also at Harvard, and Matt kind of knew some of them, which made it at least comfortable, I think, across the board. It, it, that helped somewhere, some part of that. No, which, which we needed because the date that he gave us that he could do, we were shooting in the summer in Prague, was June 21st, which for all you astronomers out there is the shortest day of the year, uh, is the shortest night of the year, I should say. And we're up in Prague, which is pretty far north. So we had about five hours of darkness to shoot his part of this thing. And which actually, it was not the his part. It was that we had to get the entire party scene, yeah. meaning not just the song, but everything else. Because there's a lot of stuff before it and after it. Everything that you see there, I guess, except the hot tub, which was a separate nice. scene shot on yeah. set not not a fake night everything else was the backyard of the one house we found in prague that looked like an american backyard in one night on the shortest night of the year and that that was that was wild with you know three first-time directors so there and, you go. That, and by the way the congratulations sign was spelled wrong oh they spelled it because it's prague they just said one congratulation so it yeah, said congratulations congratulations and the other thing, we had to literally, I had to call my parents in Ohio to get like red oh, solo cups. cups. Yes, they, they, they don't have red solo cups. They don't know what that is. It was kind of incredible. Um, but what was, inc- what was great was once Matt said he would do it, that led to, um, what was it, Kristen, uh, Kristen Crook um, 
saying yes. Sorry for the phone ringing in the background. No, so no she she had been uh, what was it, Lana Lang on Smallville, and then you know, of course, then then all of a sudden you're calling her and going, look, I know there's a war, I know there's SARS, but do you want to come to Prague and make out with Matt Damon? And she, you know, I think flew herself out. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, of course. You know, things beget things, and so that then happened, which obviously helped bolster the whole front of the movie, which was great because you know it was a really popular show at the time. Um, so that's sort of how that whole thing came together. But what I remember was just the, the race of the night because we ran through the song a couple of times and that was all great. And in some ways kind of relatively easy in the grand scheme of things, it was the getting everything else. And at some point, you know, uh, a B camera crew trying to get just, you know, random party pickup shots of like, you know, the, you know, all those moments of like, you know, beer getting poured into cups around the keg and all of that kind of stuff. Like, that all had to be done in the one evening. So it was kind By the of a way, wild night. Dave, do you remember we split up? We yes, each, we split we, up, yeah. Alec and Dave and I each took a camera and just shot scenes. We had all these little vignettes to shoot, some of which made it in, some of which made it in as just images. But we all just split up and just said, get whatever you can. Yeah, just with a camera guy just trying to grab, you know, like, you know, party things. And then, you know, you read stories about like, well, we shot that wedding scene over three weeks to get all the the real feel. You know, it's just like we've got one night, get whatever pieces we can. But uh, I will but no, say, it, Matt, it worked. Matt, was, Matt was awesome. And I will say, you know, having talked to him afterwards, he said the funniest thing. He goes, I was Ryan. I was Private Ryan and Saving Private Ryan. I was Ripley and the talented Mr. Ripley. And I walked down the street and all anybody shouts to me is Scotty doesn't know. Hey, listen up, everybody. Got a little special thing I'd like to do tonight. I'm play a little song for you about the nastiest, freakiest little sex puppet I know. Fiona. This one's for you, baby. Happy anniversary. Scotty doesn't know that Fiona and me do it in my van every Sunday. She tells him she's in church, but she doesn't go. Still, she's on her knees, and Scotty doesn't know. That song has endured over 15 years. I listened to it on a run the other day. Actually, like the, the day before our first attempted recording of this, I was still listening. It still hit. So you had, did you guys have like the concept of Scott's going to go to this party and find out that he's been cheated on via this song from this band? And it just like, it fell into place that it was Damon and these guys you knew, or you found out you had them and then you decided to make that the plot? No, it was the, the idea. Wrote- it, the idea, it's all the, it started with the idea. It's a hundred percent the idea written in, baked into the, the, the early drafts of the script. Again, not, I think lyrically there was sort of placeholder obviously, but it was just this idea of, you know, uh, the, you know, the singer basically saying, I, I dedicate this to my, you know, whatever, you know, I don't know if it was always that same line, the nastiest sex puppet I know, but it was like basically the singer basically Having broken up with Fiona, the singer dedicates the song to Fiona. She comes out, and as he sings a song about her cheating on Scotty, and then all of the callbacks throughout the movie. I mean, I'm not sure if they were all there, but we added others. But, you know, the techno version and all of those things, and I think the phone ring was in there very early on. So story first, and then when we went into production, we did sort of a, uh, I guess, what do they call it? Like a bake-off, where they, uh, you know, we basically... 
there was a music department and they had us reaching out to a couple of people and we said, what about this band we know? So that's kind of how it came together. I think the like the funniest thing about it is that I told you guys before we recorded that I when I did my rewatch my fiance had never seen the movie and it was definitely not her speed at all but she has her you know she puts in her AirPods is letting me watch the movie and then right before the song's about to start I kind of tap her and I was just like just watch this part and her jaw just drops when it shows up and it's Matt Damon with his shaved head and the stud in his lip and it, I mean it's still to this day just like a completely priceless cameo. But speaking of, you know, the other cameos, there's a lot of like random star power. You like, how'd you grab Fred Armisen and, and Vinnie Jones and Dietrich Bader is the the mugger, which is I, I had completely forgotten about that. I remembered Vinnie Jones and Armisen. But when when Bader shows up uh, to to um, to to mug the guy, I was I was like, holy shit, I forgot. Um I'll start with Armisen because it's maybe slightly more better story, I guess, which is to say there was an original idea that came from Ivan Reitman, who was, uh, I guess, the, the producer of the movie, which was that as part of, I guess, maybe the marketing, would you call it the marketing, Jeff? The, the idea would be that as they traveled around Europe and they bumped into different people, the people from those countries would be big comedy stars or actors from the various countries so that like which, go- which turned out by the way i'm sorry to be a giant no, yeah. oxymoron yeah it was impossible it was literally <laughs> impossible it didn't work and so i mean we tried you know getting like italian guys to play that role and you know it just nothing it just some of the i mean i again i th- i don't know whether it was just a disconnect with the script or the fact no, that they, I'll tell you they, what it was i'll tell you what it was they didn't understand how to make fun of themselves i guess so yeah or they or they chose not to and pretended they didn't understand i guess to give them the benefit of the doubt because i do remember because remember we a, were ugly americans making yeah. fun of them that, the original title, Ugly Americans. Because I remember there was a French guy. There used to be there was a French waiter role when they first meet up in Paris who is rude but talks about how rude he is. It was sort of a that was our idea, or at least as I remember it, or sort of that was the idea. And there was a guy who had played the Merovingian in the uh, second and third Matrix, this really interesting French actor who I guess we sent it to. And oh, he was, yeah, yeah. No, he was about. horribly disgusted by it. That, I remember that. The Merovingian just just did not care for it, did not find it funny at all, found it somewhat a borderline offensive. So anyway, this idea of having auditioned all of these people, none of which worked. I mean, we ended up finding funny British guys to play British guys. We cast a British guy as a French guy. We cast, what's her name, uh, as a Dutch woman who ends up in the credits um, from... Uh, Joanna Lumley. Joanna Lumley. So British people are funny. And then we did find the German truck driver was a German TV star, I think from like cop procedural. So we found him. And then ultimately for all of that searching, we ended up hiring Fred Armisen, who was on SNL and really funny, but it was early in his tenure there. And so he was not quite the sort of... I don't know if when we got him, no one was going, we thought it was great. We thought it was incredible. He was so funny, but it didn't, it was not the coup. It seems like now, if that makes any sense, although we were, we were thrilled. We were good. And good Lord, was he funny. I mean, he was so perfect. By the way, just to highlight how difficult it was to get Europeans to sort of make fun of themselves. When we were in Bratislava, 
uh, or uh, um, Slovakia rather. We we were behind the Iron Curtain, and they are put up because they only have like they only have like twenty five cents, and they're staying at this posh place. And he oh, tosses the waiter, yes, and he God. tosses the waiter a nickel, and the guy was supposed to get a nickel, and he turns to his boss and slaps him. I will open my own hotel, and. This guy, I remember we tried to tell him how to slap with the back of his hand. And he just goes, men don't slap that way. And Dave, I remember you very specifically saying, no, no, you don't understand. In America, this is called a bitch slap. And it's, and it's, and so, uh, yeah, I say something like that. And then Jeff just starts backing it up like, oh, there's nothing worse in America. I mean, it was just such utter bullshit. But by the way, probably the most directing we did, like actual directing in the entire movie, if you actually think about it, to at least give the guy some level of, oh, you're being humiliated, like in terms of motivation. Because he, by the way, was a huge comedy star. I guess in Slovakia or something like that. He was in, a, no, in, he in the was, Czech Republic. In the Czech he, Republic, he was a name in his world. Which, oddly enough, you know, having the most of that mission failed, but we did get him um, anyway. <laughs> well, basically, what it turned out to be was how do we get the people that are the most like self-assured and locked into their own thing and don't want to listen to anybody, but from every country. Let's bring all of them and try to make them do a comedy but, with some Americans. So Vinnie Jones but, is But Vinnie Jones, that's a different thing, though, because Vinnie Jones, oh, no. like, by the way, we that was he was our dream guy when we wrote oh, it. Yeah. Huge Love fans Vinny. of uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. We wrote it for him. We used to bring, Jeff, you had that picture that you, we, you brought like with us to things. Remember that photo of the... Uh, it was a photo of him as a, when he played, when he played professional soccer, of him... It's it's him and another guy backing up to get a header, and you just see his hands squeezing the other guy's nuts as hard as humanly possible, <laughs> like behind the ref's back. And so he was the prototype, and that was great because we reached out, we hired him, he came, he understood it, and he got it, and he went for it. He had no problem playing, even though he was a soccer player and whatever. He 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 loved. He got it, and he just went for it. He had a really good sense of humor, and it was just, you know, again, just great. And we, I think we even kept adding little bits and pieces there to Mad Maynard's part. So that, that was very fun. And even those guys, his various, you know, soccer hooligan goon guys, um, a lot of, like, Brits living in, uh, in Prague, but funny guys. And, you know, again, some of those parts just got bigger. Like, the British get it. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 that part worked out well. Yeah. Who came up with the uh, the line where Cooper, the you guys are on a totally different level of swearing? Who came up with whatever the hell it was that that guy said? So I tell the swamp donkey to sack it before I give her a tonk in a tradesman's entrance and have a lick me yarbles. <laughs> wow. You guys are on like a completely different level of swearing over here. We looked at a lot of books. There's and... a little piece of it that I think is partially stolen from uh, Clockwork Orange, maybe. There was a thing in Clockwork Orange where one of the early, I can't believe I'm saying this, like sexual assault scenes or something, where Alex says something like, no time to read the meter or something like that. And I think that's, we had found the definition of the tradesman's <laughs> entrance and that sort of, those two things kind of came together, like the notion of, yeah. like, just a very sort of like, you know, just here, I'll just use the servants. Anyway, there, that was the, the philosophy behind it. I saw Clockwork when I was like, for the first time, when I was 17 and I don't think I could have understood that movie less the first time I saw it. Happy Polly Lodges. So, <laughs> uh, so, 
so no, we we looked up. A, there was a lot of like internet looking up like Mancusian swearing and the Barmy Army. We read all about that stuff, and then they would just. But then Vinny would just go. Vinny, there was a scene. It's the actually bus scene. Yeah, it's the, bus the extras. Scene. It's on. It's on one of my questions. I need to know how much footage you have of him screaming out of the bus. Well, by the way, if you look, if you look, if you have the DVD, if you have a DVD, steal the DVD player from your grandparents and get the DVD. Um, there is a scene in the deleted scenes where we just let the camera run and he just, he swears and he swears and he swears and it's, and it's like minutes long. And then finally at the end, he's just got nothing. And he goes, I'm fucking knackered. But I think, <laughs> I think that's the same. That may be the same take. We used a lot of it. It's just, we, you, you get to see what happens when it breaks. But yeah, he was just, it was him and the guy who was like actually driving the bus, I believe was just one of the drivers on the, on the film shoot that we kind of made into this sort of extra. And he's got this big grin and he and Vinny got along great. And they just, he was like, he was just, he's just laughing through the scene. It's a, and it's just really funny. And Vinny just kind of was just, just done it was it was just great <laughs> big screen sports is brought to you by doordash you've counted on restaurants now they're counting on you and while their dining rooms may be closed they're still open for delivery with doordash doordash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door ordering's easy open the doordash app choose what you eat and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting we've used doordash a lot in the last you know five six months and it's it's been a lifesaver for a lot of people uh literally choose your favorite national restaurants like chipotle wendy's and the cheesecake factory many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too just open the doordash app select your favorite local spot and your food is on the way right now big screen sports listeners can get five dollars off and zero delivery fees on their first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the doordash app and enter code blue wire that's five dollars off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the doordash app in the app store and enter code blue wire don't forget that's code blue wire for five dollars off your first order with doordash Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by NFL Sunday Ticket, the only way to watch football on Sunday. Sundays are coming back in the NFL like we're almost here. We got like two weeks, I think. Uh, with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game and every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. Red Zone, unless your team is on, like for me, unless the Cowboys are on, Red Zone's the only way to watch football at this point. It is... It is just the best. Uh, no matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout. Get 50% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Now back to the Euro trip. He's fantastic. All the all like the bit parts, Armisen and Vinny and, and Bader is the mugger. It's it's all just Luke just Lucy. Perfect. Lucy. Oh yeah, Lucy Lawless is the the dominatrix. Who made the uh, whatever the the safe word was? But who made that power tool that that gets implied that it gets used on Cooper? It was actually built by a guy I know named Jeff Jingle, who works yes. in the uh, in the effects field. He does practical effects and robots and like you know when you see like. Uh, like a like a when a baby like on Grey's Anatomy that's like dying but like its chest is moving that's often a robot baby and he built those kinds of things and 
we sort of we definitely had sort of a loose idea in mind about i think we had the three dildos in some sense of an expansion or an umbrella expansion kind of a thing and then uh we sort of set him loose with a uh a sex toy catalog uh and uh that sits at my uh, in my uh, my house in its box in its original box. To the I was really hoping Although, that someone sadly, would still have. I have that. to say this: someone stole a couple of the dildos off of it. <laughs> I have to I'll have to browse eBay to see if those come up with. Um, on a usual podcast episode, like a normal episode of this pod, I'll we do a section with the the movies, just the IMDb trivia. Uh, two things I, I took a look. Two things really of note besides the ending. Um, that you came up with the hot tub scene while rewriting Out Cold. Is that true? Did you guys rewrite Out Cold? Yes, that is. And there is a hot tub. I don't know if I think it made the final cut. There is a hot tub scene in that movie. Zach that Galifianakis I, gets his dick stuck in the hot yes, tub. I'm very we, familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, we, well. we ended up building sort of to that because as I just, I remember we were sitting in our office, it was us and there might've been one or two other people. For some reason, Jeff, I feel like your brother might've been there. I, I like we, like we were, we had, were like doing a little mini round table trying to punch that thing up two days. It was a flat fee two days. And I remember just riffing on that thing and it was just so goddamn funny. And it was just like, no, we can't give them this. And we, you know, gave them something else, but no, we, we, we just, we just like tucked that away. It was uh, it was too good. That's that I, I I very distinctly remember it. Yeah. Um. Dare I say, and I don't know if this is anywhere. Out cold was sort of because of that, and maybe even the original whole idea of they should go to Europe came from. There was a brief moment where someone was talking to us about a second American Pie movie, which is them like getting a house on like by the lake for the summer. Yeah, they get a and house I, and on lake. Yeah, and I remember we had the discussion, which was. Because they were showing us the script, which was finished, and it, they felt like it needed work. And our point was, at least in our experience, and again, not that that isn't a genuine experience, it was just like, boy, that doesn't seem that different. Why don't they go to Europe? And then it was just like, nope, you're going to stick with that lake? Great. We'll put that Europe idea also somewhere. You know, And that's sort of as you go, how these things kind of come together. I need to ask about one other thing from the IMDb trivia that, it, that appears that you guys had tabled it and did not make it in the movie. Can, can you guys tell me about an, <laughs> the Anne Frank scene? <laughs> so this this went down to the wire. So at first, we there was a scene that happened in Amsterdam, and you know you saw how everybody separated. And actually, the Lucy Lawless in, scene. Yeah, it was in was, lieu of the Flugenkenheimler and Lucy Lawless. It was in place of that. It was it was uh, it was uh, Cooper's adventure. It was his. It was separate. That that was it was his separate adventure. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. And he saw a flyer for the hidden room, right? And and he was like, "Oh, what's this? The hidden room?" And and he saw a flyer for this party. What he thought was going to be some sort of rave, and. He keeps asking people, where's the hidden room? Where's the hidden room? And people are pointing it out. And, he, and so he walks in basically the back entrance of the Anne Frank Museum. And as he's, walking, <laughs> as he's walking in, some people are walking out and they're in tears. And it's like, she was so young. And he's like, but not too young, am I right? And he's just ready for a really good old time. And he gets up to the attic and he sees this, you know, a, a sort of doll. A doll. An Anne Frank doll. An Anne Frank doll. And he does what with a bed and a little thing. He does what anyone would do, which is he starts to get naked and thinking that this is the sexual experience he's about to have. So in the meantime, through the rest of the house, 
is a tour led by Anne Frank's oldest, sur- youngest surviving member, like some some old. No, it was her own, the her only living relative, <laughs> yes. Tessa, Tessa Frank, Tessa Frank, who was in a wheelchair being pushed, and they're going to show Tessa after all these years the the the, the secret room where you know Anne <laughs> lived like the and then died and so- finds. So in that room is Cooper, who's completely naked. He realizes what this is all of a sudden when he hears the voices. He doesn't have anything to grab, so he grabs the doll, which is writing at the desk. So it's sort of bent over. So when you pick it up, it looks like you're fucking it doggy style. And that's what Tessa, that's what Tessa Frank sees. There's a large scream, and we just cut to the train where Cooper is being put back on the train by police officers, and they left Amsterdam. And this scene we thought was going to be very funny, and I think we were right. And it, it definitely sold the movie. And then oddly, the place it sold it to it didn't want to do it. That, that was the great irony in some ways. And, and Spielberg said, he goes, this is really funny, but you guys are going to get the laughs and I'm going to get killed. My name is on the Anne Frank Museum. Oh, God. So we took this about as well as you might have thought. And we said, we're going we're gonna to do the movie in another studio. <laughs> we literally... Threatened to move the movie. Which, by the way, we were not wrong and should have. But anyway, go on. And we didn't for some reason. It was going to be too complicated. But we really tried. And so we ended up sneaking again. If you can find a DVD player in a museum of antiquities and get the DVD, the actual first script of the movie is on that DVD. And yeah, we, de- we demanded that that be on there so that people would... We were, we agreed to kill it so that we could, you know, like as long as we could put the scene in its script form on there. And then, you know, that scene had come from just a very funny place in terms of... I mean, again, you can feel free to be offended or whatever, but like it was a very natural thing. But then we had this strange hole in the script where we were going, we need a... A crazy, raucous, sexy kind of thing like Anne Frank, but isn't Anne Frank, which when you're trying to like write that way, that sort of reverse way, Almost is never really works. hard. And I remember bringing a bunch of just comedy writing pals together just to try and go like, anybody got anything? And it was a lot of like, again, easy to pitch offensive stuff, but just stuff that wasn't funny i get I, I don't know how to say it It just was so hard trying to find the thing that you know well, because because yeah. there was there was an innocence right the anne frank scene worked because cooper was innocent yeah and he and, really yeah exactly he just he had no idea where he just thought it was a stupid misunderstanding definitely stupid but he thought he was heading to the hottest sex club in town the hidden room Again, you don't have to go, you don't have to love it, but you have to at least agree it really does work. Um, I would have been all for seeing that. Like it probably would have broken a rib of 14, 15 year old me. And even now that sounds fantastic. But I, I will say the club Vandersex substitution, like every now and then you will get a, a club Vandersex reference just talking among among buddies, at least like my buddies. We will reference club Vandersex. Lucy, Lucy was amazing. We love her. She was so good. And and Cooper, I mean, Jacob Pitts's read of Are the Girls Coming? It just it, it the production, it actually our production value there was fantastic. Yeah, um, that that entire sort of like I remember, I don't know if Jeff, I, I've never asked you this, Jeff, so here you go. I remember going to f- see the uh, 
the 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 sorry the Lars Stieg uh, the first one the girl with the dragon tattoo and at the back end of the movie when they find the killer and he's got the basement do you know what I'm talking about yes and I just was just like oh man we Eurotrip did this right like here's this like that that just like that the floor with the blood drainage and like being hung up and all of that stuff the production designers by the way Alan Starsky and uh, <laughs> Nano who, Nano Pecker. <laughs> Packer, who did uh, Schindler's List, both of them won, I think, like an Oscar, or maybe didn't, or won for the piano. I can't remember. But literally, like, they got to design a sex dungeon, which really, uh, really made us laugh. Uh, Oscar, Oscar winner, Alan Starsky got to design a, a sex dungeon. He got to design an American hot tub. Yep, American and hot the, tub. the thing that he would lose his mind for the Vatican, because, you know, we didn't have that much money, and he would just, he would keep making a full-scale Vatican. And we were like, we don't have the money for that. And finally, he just said, here it is. This is 66% Vatican. Anything lower, not Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, I, I gotta imagine designing a sex dungeon though is like kind of fun. Like it can, it can have been like at least like a light thing to do instead of like just having like a heavy thing, like designing the set pieces for the No, you, they definitely were having fun. I mean, wh whatever, you know, whatever they were channeling, they were definitely having fun. And the upstairs of the sex place was a real skeezy club that had like back rooms and stuff. So there was something going on there. So they, that, so they liked that, it. They that liked first it. part was odd, but yes, yeah. go on. But they liked it. I mean, they were, they were one scars guard away from a true sex dungeon. Um, <laughs> All you needed was, uh, I think it was Stellan in girl with dragon tattoo. There you go. Uh, also, also a, a Matt Damon co-star. Um, so on this podcast, usually we we break down movies by you know a couple categories, and I, I want to get your takes on a, on a couple of them. The first one is is best scene. In your opinion, what is the best scene in the film? And that could be best by any definition you choose. Your favorite to film, your favorite with how it turned out, the favorite you know you're the one that you you enjoyed writing the most. Uh, David, I'll start with you. For you, what is the the best scene in the film? Um, boy, I, I think it's unfortunately the boring answer because we've discussed it. I mean, I guess I'm I'm taking it from the perspective of I'm combining a couple of your answers. It was really fun to shoot, but also how it came out in terms of the way we envisioned it and then some which look as our first movie wasn't always the case with the whole movie. But I do think that opening party scene, which includes Obviously, Sky doesn't know, but also the hot tub and the intercutting, you know, in between them and whatnot, I do think is is it's it's definitely probably my best sort of both memory. And like when I watch it, it feels like that is what it was supposed to be in a good way, which, I, as I said, I don't always believe. So, yeah, Jeff, what about you? Um, this is fantastic for me to answer. I didn't hear Dave's at all. I didn't even hear the question because of the Internet. <laughs> my favorite scene of the movie is. I'll say the, my favorite moment, actually, because it's a combination of a lot of things, was the reprise of Fred as Miss Scusi with the David Hasselhoff video. And um, because that was a joke that it was a combination of a whole bunch of things. It's a great callback. And even having Hasselhoff, we knew we wanted some Hasselhoff music. And then we saw the video. And we're like, we have to figure out how to put that in the movie. So it was just this combination yeah, of us we being didn't... nimble. Was it Houlihan that found that music? We didn't even know that existed. And it was like, this is this music. It's Hasselhoff. We were like, it's incredible. And then he was like, this is the video. That's at least how I sort of remember it. 
for sure. And yeah. so it was just us being nimble. And I think it's it's the it's a great example of how we would do anything for a joke in in the writing, in the shooting, or even in post. Like we were never done trying to make it funnier. For me personally, I will have to say that the Scotty doesn't know scene is my favorite. I think that one has endured the longest these past 15 plus years. Uh, it is still the song still slaps. The Damon cameo is still great. And it, it is just something you also like if you include the Cooper part in it, you will also uh, occasionally hear a this isn't where I parked my car reference. Um <laughs> Another so the next category we do is uh, is what were the most authentic and least authentic aspects of the film? That is an easier thing to do with a sports movie because, like you know, speaking of our old pal Freddie Prince Jr. we talked about earlier, it's it's very obvious that it's not authentic at all watching him throw a baseball. It is in fact very painful to watch. Do you have something about this movie that you feel is like the most authentic? Uh, let me try most and least before my internet goes away again. The most authentic to me is. The Miscusi. It's literally the idea that an Italian guy is molesting you on a train. Pardon me. Miscusi. Miscusi. Every human being we talked to that went. Yeah, every, especially, by the way, every woman that I know, I think, including my wife, including some girls I grew up with, like literally they all went to Europe and at some point or another, uh, basically a creepy Italian guy more or less tried to molest them one way or another. So So obviously we took it more to the men's side, but still, boy, oh boy, that just, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an evergreen, I think. I think you guys nailed what a nude beach is like too. By the way, those guys got really sunburned everywhere, which is <laughs> like you, you think they would have been a little more prepared. Um, but I do think the the least uh, the least authentic thing I have to say, and it was just the way we had to get into the movie, was the mix up over email that got Scotty to try and go to Berlin. But, you know, it's it's a little clunky, but. We had to get him there. I feel like Scott would have gotten that picture. And even if he thought that Mike was Mike, he would have done some digging on like, hey, who's the absolute rocket next to you in the picture? (laughs) Right. Don't start pulling at those threads, everyone. We won't have a show. (laughs) David, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, but that is an example. And again, it's sort of, I guess, the way we we sort of worked, um, which was it was a little clunky, you know, just that thing. And we just... You know, just every little thing like the male motherfucker and all of that stuff just kind of jammed, you know, like jokes, as many jokes around it to try and distract from what was going on, which was this isn't exactly the most believable, you know, mistake, I guess. So, you know what I mean? It's sort of like trying to hide it behind jokes, you know, just the whole both like that night where he's drunk and then the peeing and then seeing the, to- you know, all of those pieces and Bert saying, what did he say? You threw up in my bathrobe or something. Just every little thing. Somebody pissed yeah. on mine. Right. That was it. Yeah. yeah. And it just every joke in there is partially just a, to make it as funny as possible, but also to try and cover up, I guess a little bit of the, the hankiness. Yeah. It's a, it's the heavy French sauce to disguise the rancid meat. I was going to say this, by the way, this is, I will say along with what you're talking about, that bedroom is the least authentic thing in the movie. That bedroom, we, it was a, it was a rain cover set and it rained and we had to move in. So it was not initially where we thought we were going to be shooting. 
and it was like day one of our shooting or day two of our shooting. It was the train station day one, Jeff. And then, and then we had to move inside. I can't even remember, yes. but basically day yeah. one, then we had to move inside and then we, and then robot man came after, right. that, after the, weekend. but, but with the train with the, with, I'm sorry, with the, with the bedroom, we got in there. First of all, we got there. And while a lot of the stuff, Jeff's mom and dad also sent us all of that Cleveland Indian stuff. So that's the stuff on the wall helps. And some various comic book friends of mine, sent like posters and stuff so at least the wall was okay that is a strange tiny european bed which we didn't know to double check until we got there and there were no other beds so look at that bed and how strange and small it is and then we made a huge mistake <laughs> would have been perfect oh. for Anne would have been perfect yes for Anne it was Frank. a fine and frank bed um, and then we made a shooting mistake early on at the beginning of the day where the way we staged it, there was a wall that needed to come out and they were like, we can try and do it without taking the wall or we can not shoot for an hour. And we thought the not shooting for an hour was a mistake. And so we left the wall in so we could start shooting. And then as the scene progressed and we ran out of room because the wall was there, we started having to do these smaller and smaller pieces of shooting. And it just was a, I don't even think we finished. I think we had to come back to the scene because we didn't pull the wall out. And it was, I guess, a great shooting lesson for day one. But I just remember not pulling that wall out and that teeny tiny bed with them sitting on the end of it for that sequence, which I think is one of my favorite sequences of the two guys in the movie, which is when Cooper's like, don't worry about telling your parents. I think they already know you're the guy, she's the guy. Sometimes you're, you know, sometimes you're both, you know, the girl, like that whole, that whole thing. I think the, 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 the back and forth with them is incredible, but it is being performed on a tiny bed. Anyway, that's my least authentic. <laughs> fair, fair point. Uh, let's roll into the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. And with this, with this movie, I'm pretty much taking this as everyone who is not Scott Cooper, Jamie or Jenny. Everyone else is is up for can best we supporting like character. let's leave out Matt Damon just to leave out Matt Damon okay yeah because that that'd I be think an we, easy one. yeah I normally I list off some nominees but I, I want you guys just your fresh palette to pick but I I just want to throw out one person just so because we haven't talked about him yet and I have to get this in the the guy who plays with the truck driver is that is one of my, like, that f makes me laugh hysterically every time when he's like, I stabbed a woman in a bar in Berlin, <laughs> sexually assaulted a horse in Berlin. I'll, it's, I'll it's drive my this truck fear off a cliff before I ever go back to Berlin. <laughs> it's my fear forever now when traveling to Europe to end up riding with that guy. <laughs> he was really good. He and was really great and really committed, but we actually had, he was saying other dialogue, and that a lot of that stuff, and Jeff, I want to say the horse thing is certainly you, but a lot of that stuff was just us at some point just going, who cares what he's really saying? Who cares what the German really means? Let's just keep making this, let, let's make the translation wilder and wilder. We definitely had the stab thing. That was something he did say, but some of that nowhere near, I think we definitely like played with that and just at some point just didn't care what he was really saying in post as I remember it, but no, he was really good. So who is your David? You first, who is your best supporting character in this one? Boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, oh, it's so hard. Is it between Armisen and Vinnie Jones for you? 
<laughs> I mean, this is the thing is we've, I feel like we've talked about a lot of these people. So I feel like part of me wants to like name and call out somebody that we somehow haven't, if that makes any sense. But, uh, a, another, by the way, difficult piece of casting where there was an attempt originally to like, we're going to find a French actor to play the French robot man that went nowhere. And of course, where do you find your French actor to play a robot man? You go back to LA and you get a groundling, which was JP Manu, um, who was fantastic. And I, we, I remember we basically in the location went and worked it out there that weekend, just kind of choreographed it with Scott and him and they had both done some mime training and stuff like that um and we i remember we had storyboarded already to have sort of the 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 drummer for the showdown and that kind of western thing and there's a little bit of matrix in there whatever but that whole thing really came together and also really worked me you know my balls robotique um that worked really well and one thing that by the way is very enjoyable which uh, I'll, i will point out um, but, uh, I was going to say is not everybody, cause obviously you can't make everything always work and people live in different places, but you know, like Diedrich, we use Diedrich on curb after that. I use Diedrich a whole bunch in veep. Um, we used Lucy on curb. She dated Larry. That was really fun. Um, uh, JP, I had all through a whole season of veep, um, as a congressman who then runs for president. And so, you know, going back to that, a lot of those sort of, you know, the, the people we met on that movie, it's been fun just working with them again throughout the years. Uh, anyway, I was just thinking about that. No, by the way, I got to watch, I got to work with, uh, Fred Armisen this year on curb. Oh, that's right. As the, uh, was he the crippled guy or something? Yes. Like that? Yeah. He moved very slowly, talked very slowly. And we were just we were just talking about it. It's like, oh, I haven't you know we hadn't worked together in a long time. It's been a while. But these you know there's so many funny people in this movie, and they're still doing super funny things. Did you have a did you have a pick for best supporting character, Jeff? Because you kind of cut out when you were making. Oh, I was going to say, and I think Dave took it for me, which was I wanted to talk about something we hadn't talked about, which was J.P. Manu, who played Robot Man. Yeah. Uh, and you covered that. I mean, yeah. I think the other one that's just uh, and these are smaller characters, but we haven't talked about them that I loved. Um, is also our our green fairy. Um, oh my gosh, Heitner! Oh, I forgot the about that. Absence fairy. Yeah, um, and, and Heitner coming in and just doing that and being just. By the way, it's not easy to be funny when you're hanging in one of those harnesses. Um, and but, funny costumes make it less funny, and yet it's really funny. I mean, yeah, yeah. And the one thing I will say, and I, I, you know, most things, you know whatever they are, what they are. But I do feel like we, I would like some credit somewhere in movie world for the notion of sort of, yes, it is in, uh, what was that? Uh, the, 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 the singing movie, the green fairy, they sort of with Kylie Minogue, uh, you know, and Ewan McGregor and they're all Moulin Rouge had sort of a green fairy kind of a thing and this was our version of it but i feel like i have seen a lot of comedies where at some point or another the notion of let's drink absinthe and go crazy and stuff happens has kind of i don't know followed in the wake of euro trip i was gonna say euro trip is the first movie that had that brought out like the absinthe myth kind of thing i, I and that like scene we're definitely also up there is- yeah and that scene also is the the French guy who wants Jenny to just join his harem. Yes. I will take many lovers. Uh, that place, that was, by the way, that was a fun set. That was literally some sort of, like, power plant. Power station, yeah. We're all uh, impotent because of that, or 
sterile, <laughs> I guess is the word. Sterile, not impotent. I mean, we are impotent, but no. we're also sterile. <laughs> Dave, Dave, we've all had kids, so we're not sterile. Our children are just deformed. Touche. Children of Chernobyl and Eurotrip. Yep. Um, let's get into the kind of wrap it up with a category do before more restore. Would you rather see a prequel, sequel, or remake of this movie or none of the above? You know, from your perspectives, would you ever want to tackle this project in some format again? If Netflix dropped the check for, for 10 episodes for Eurotrip or a remake, would you guys, do you guys think you could recreate this in 2020? Oh, for, we, I mean, here's the thing. I, I mean, I don't think it's a series. Let me, let me just, no, I, have, I, I do I, have to say that. Let's take that one off the board. I but, agree. Yeah. But I do think, here's the thing. There's two separate things. Would we do another road trip comedy? I mean, we always used to joke about um, grip following another group of teenagers who went to China and now I guess they could have just gotten stuck there. They were visiting Hubei yeah. province and they were at the, you know, I mean, were... people are going to, people are going to watch this movie at some point and be like, I don't understand. People used to go to Europe on airplanes. Like we used to be allowed thing. to go to Europe. Yeah. But no, we used to joke about like China trip and like other things like that. And I also think again, COVID not, uh, let's not, let's skip COVID, but the, the, whatever the coming of age right of going to like, you know, a crazy European sort of summer trip, whether it's after college, before college or whatever, I think is as real today as then, you know, as then. And so I definitely think you could, you know, there are things you could definitely redo or, you know, at least inspired by, you know. And, and by the way, to bring it full circle, when we were talking about what kind of movie to do and we wanted to do a teen movie, the first thing we talked about was what are the rites of passage? Yeah. And what are the rites of passage that hadn't been done? And a the, the trip either between high school and college or after college was just sitting there. And we were just we're like, we have to do this. And by the way, again, you know, it's all 2020 hindsight. But maybe if we actually had done it as a college thing, certain things might have, I don't know, fallen into place differently just in terms of. I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, again, I'm so I'm glad we found Scott, but it was so hard. And I wonder if it we could have been casting older. But anyway, uh, we're not going to solve these issues today. But anyway, yes, I do think you could do it. So there's no uh, there's no Euro trip to script that's just half done, saved on one of your computers right now. The I only I, the only scene it has in it is Anne Frank. <laughs> I was just <laughs> say, if you. <laughs> We, by the way, I'm sure there. If we looked back through, I mean, there were so we wrote so much stuff. There was a tourist bus that they kidnapped at some point that was sort of Jamie giving a crappy tour, but it was a kidnapped bus that was a part oh, of something. By the way, I remember two others. Okay, so the guy we met in Bratislava for after you know stop hammer time. Uh, oh yes, oh so my gosh, there was a great scene of him driving them. He was driving them out of Bratislava and he was telling the story about how he used to be an Olympic swimmer. And it was so clear when, as he's telling it that he was a woman. He was a female Olympic swimmer who had been given so much testosterone that, he, to, that she turned into him. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And there was also there was also I mean, the Joanna Lumley stuff we could have done way more with. We that got that got relegated and she was really funny. And those lines were really funny about the. Yeah, I mean, she was hilarious with the the you know put your valuables up your honest or whatever she however she pronounced it because that doesn't get, get until the credits, credits right right yeah. the problem was it was an early stop and it prevented them 
it was like after Paris and it just slowed, or maybe it was after the nude beach and it just slowed it down. Unfortunately, it was not nothing she did. It was the very act of. No, no, it was Amsterdam and it was too, there was too much. Oh, of it was. Oh, that was it. They get to Amsterdam and they check in and then they separate. And it was just the movie stopped because all of a sudden there was a scene, a comedy scene followed by three other comedy adventures. And it was just like, and we tried moving it other places and it moved nowhere. And then we stuck it in at the end because we liked it so much, but felt a little bad for her. How long would the movie have been if you could have just put everything you wanted to in there? Like, what would be the fun if you didn't have to worry about selling it at all? You were just like, we're, we're going to do this fucking Ridley Scott Kingdom of Heaven director's cut. And we're just going to put everything we want in there. How long is that cut? But even if it's even if it's 230, right, it's not as good a movie. That's yeah, no, this is I mean, I will say this. I mean, not talking about like, you know, Anne Frank, which we weren't allowed to shoot. This is the director's cut. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe a little bit more of the, I guess there were a couple of things in the unrated cut that we liked a little bit that we had to take out. But other than that, like this, no one, at a certain point, no one was saying like, take things out or there's no like, oh my God, that killer line. That scene was funny, but it, it stopped the movie cold. So it comes out for a reason, rightly or, you know, unfortunately, I guess I'll say it was not rightly or wrongly. It rightly comes out. So this is the movie it's supposed to be one way or another. Well, the movie it is, is like I've told you guys is incredibly important to me. People of my age, it is fantastic. It's one of my favorites. I am so thankful that you guys battled internet troubles stuck through this, took the time to talk to me about this one. I am very, very grateful. Uh, tell the folks where they can follow you on social media, where they can find your work, whatever you want to plug. David, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm simple. I was going to say follow me on uh, Twitter or Instagram, at David H. Mandel. Uh, and keep an eye out, because I think we are getting close to, uh, we're about four years away from the 20th anniversary. So we're de we're definitely going to do something. I don't know what, but we're going to do something probably in the greater Los Angeles area. But uh, assuming there are movie theaters, we will do something. So we're about four years away from that. Uh, I can't Jeff, how about you? <laughs> As you can tell from my internet connection, I have no social media presence. I was going to say... <laughs> Jeff would like everyone to watch the watch the current season of Dave. Um, are you there? Dave, curb your enthusiasm. Social media, and that's okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining this episode. I am extremely grateful. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, subscribe, rate, review. You guys know the drill. New episodes every Monday. Also, if you are a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. And for now, thanks for listening. Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag. Sports are coming back, sports are back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball, back in action. No better place to start than wagering with our exclusive partners, BetOnline. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.